0: What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Mean Age Daydream, your place to hate with positivity. I am Brian McWilliams, and this show is going to kick off talking a little bit about the old Beyonce, Queen Bey, right? That's what they call her, Queen Bey. But before I talk about the Queenie Poo, I want to tell you guys that we've got a, uh, an interesting opportunity here for a good old pal of ours. And this is tied into the Mises Mayor's Political Action Committee, formerly known as Mises GOP. Now, they're raising money to support Buck Johnson of Counterflow. Of course, you've had on this show before. You've heard Buck and I and, and Mark uh, get drunk and shoot the shit. Love Buck to death. So, you know, I, I support this full heartedly. But. Basically, we're getting money up to Sport Buck Johnson for the counterflip podcast for City Council. He's one of the best community leaders we have. We saw in 2020 what happens when weak leaders are in charge and how just one good guy in the office can save a lot of lives. Mises Mayor's worked, but good Misesian, Mises, Misesian men in office who will fight against the Great Reset, push local policies such as contractually obligating cops to protect their citizens and passing their own town charter amendments stating that the government gets its legitimacy from early legitimacy from property owners i believe this pack is the right strategy um it's created by Hoppe. i'm asking everybody to support this by going to mises slash lion again mises slash lion it's the mises mayor's pack but the website remains mises gop.org slash lion and toss a few ducats their way per month to support electing misessians like buck all the money raised is going towards the officials. Not one cent goes to pay the leadership for the PACs like other ones that do that. And the policy will not change. It will stick to that. By joining me and going to misesgoporg slash lion and providing thousands of small monthly payments in donations, we can do what must be done and elect liberty-minded men like Buck Johnson and others to power. So, guys, go support that. Like I said, I love Buck. I'm sure, sure you do, too. And uh, this is an interesting way of taking it. So give it a shot. Let's see what they can do. And uh, please give them some dollars. Now, moving on. I mentioned Queen Bey, right? I don't make it a point to dive into the waters of uh r&b music too often you know i listen to the old school groove like on my serious xm i listen to the old school hip-hop r&b channels you know stuff that's from the the 70s to the 90s right that's my uh, my r&b groove because that's the stuff i listened to growing up but i will say beyonce's got a new song out and it's called america has a problem now when I heard that title, right? I see it's trending. It's trending today when I'm recording this. Oh, I just my background's jacked. I gotta fix my background, yo. There we go. <laughs> these these are the things that interrupt your podcast. Um, I recognize, like, okay, America has a problem. It's trending on Twitter, and I'm like, okay. Is this going to be another, you know, kind of like uh, Childish Gambino with his song, This Is America, which I actually thought was a pretty damn good song. And if you recall, I did an episode about that, about breaking down what, you know, predominantly was viewed as this leftist rallying cry song. And I saw it as something different. I thought it was much more nuanced than that. But so saw Beyonce's got this song called America Has a Problem. Immediately I said, oh, Jesus Christ, roll my eyes. Because what I presumed, and shame on me for presuming, never a good idea, is that this was going to be another anti-American screed tied into racism. Because typically that is what pop culture is now, right? Everything pop culture is tied into racism, is tied into uh, basically this overarching concept that to be pro-America, to be uh, pro-individual property rights, to be pro-X, you know, Y, and Z, uh, basically tying into the, testaments of the past that Americans believed in is somehow perpetuating racist stereotypes, right? And now in culture, you see it on ESPN, you see it in the New York Times, you see it in entertainment. The emphasis is on we must have diversity. We must have all these different voices represented at all times, regardless of merit, really, most of the time. And I'm not saying that Beyonce is not talented. Clearly, she's very talented. But my gut instinct is okay. Beyonce is Basically, going to be following, chasing pop culture here, right? She's been out of a little while. She's got to come back. She's going to try to make this a racist statement, you know, about how America has a problem with race, and she's now now Beyonce's got to get in on this and she's going to be chasing the dollars and chasing pop culture. I was wrong. To her credit, I was wrong about that. The song, which is a banger, I will say it, <laughs> If you're going to a strip club anytime in the next six months, you have found your anthem because every stripper will be stripping to this song. If you When you go and, and play it, I'm not going to play it because I don't feel like getting flagged, but when you go to hear this song, you will, without a doubt, be like, oh yes, this this will be uh, every stripper's song for the next six months minimum. So for those of you that make it rain, get ready to have booties in your face to this song, which, as I said, is not about racism. What it is about is America's, uh, I guess, issue with drugs and I'm going to guess predominantly with opiates, right? Because that seems to be the the problem. Now, again, crack's still an issue. Um, we know the CIA brought crack into the black communities back in the day. And I'm sure that's still part of the problem. But what she's talking about in this, and I think is probably referring to the opiate issue that America has uh, with all the fentanyl, with all the overdoses, because it's a song about, you know, addicted. She's talking about drug dealers, talking about dope and how her love is the real dope, right? Her booty is the real dope. Her knockers, those are the real dopes. So you got to get addicted to that get addicted to that booty first. Sound message. I like it. I'm a fan. However, Beyonce did not get all popular marks this week. Because and I didn't realize that this was a thing. I didn't realize that this was a rallying cry for uh ableism, right? You know these 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 writers who now take umbrage with everything and anything that that goes in pop culture. And of course, This criticism comes from The Guardian, the most left-wing, idiotic publication uh, possibly in the world. Possibly more left-wing idiocy comes out of The Guardian based in the UK than anything we've got domestically, which says a lot. But Beyoncé had a line in one of her songs on the new album Renaissance And it uses the word spaz. It was some song that was co-written by Drake. I don't know if Beyonce said, oh, let's put spaz in. It rhymes. Or if Drake was like, I'm Canadian and I'm going to use spaz because we can't talk about Eskimos anymore. We have to call them uh, native. What do they call them? Uh, I don't know. Native inhabitants. uh, Something. The original tribes. I don't know. Canada had rebranded and you're not allowed to say Eskimos anymore. So you'd think Drake would know better. Shame on you, Drake. But they had this line, spaz, right? Just a simple word, and it's not even being used in some crazy derogatory fashion. Now, for those of you that don't know, because the vast majority of people in the world don't know this and have completely disconnected the origin which even in its origin seems very strange that it would have caught on and what the current definition of spaz would be to most people. Spaz is basically the uncontrolled bodily movements of somebody that has like a Parkinson's or has some sort of disability, right? I don't know. You know, I guess spaz comes from, uh, I don't even know spasms, right? Cause your muscles are spasming. So you're a spaz fine. Again, it's hard to think that this would somehow have really gotten popular in in popular culture, considering how few people you meet in everyday life. Uh, I mean, that would have Parkinson's or have some sort of muscular disease where they're just spazzing out and uncontrolled of of their arms and legs. I think I've met maybe one person in my 42 years uh, as a a well-traveled individual, but that – became a, a derogatory or joke statement, which then, of course, as we've said, lost all meaning, it was used in cartoons and TV shows, but as just a general term for somebody that was more or less a dweeb, uh, more or less was uh, was fidgety, even you could say, or excitable, without a doubt it was disconnected from the original meaning of the word, right? You never would have said, oh, this stands for somebody that's having spastic reactions and it can't control the muscle. muscle. You never would have thought it. But apparently... If you put it in a song, it causes grievous, personal, and she goes, remember, guys, words are violence now, right? And it's just, my God, this woman is writing for The Guardian saying she was shaking and crying when she heard spaz was used in a Beyonce song. I'm fucking sure. Number one, if that is your reaction, you've got much deeper problems than having some sort of uh, muscular dystrophy or Parkinson's in that your brain is broken. Maybe try to fix your brain first and see what happens with your body afterwards, but she wrote not only this article, calling out Beyonce for being, quote-unquote, ableist, but also, I guess, had forced Lizzo to, uh, to make a change in her songs. And, of course, Lizzo was fully acquiescent to, uh, to take out Spaz in a song lyric, but yet will not be acquiescent. Stop wearing disgusting thongs showing off her repulsive ass everywhere <laughs> in front of children at sporting games getting onto planes. <laughs> That's too much for us to ask a Lizzo, who probably also is currently dancing in a, in a thong in front of children at a, at a theme park to a, to Beyonce's latest song. But I just I couldn't believe that Beyonce is like, OK, yeah, I'll do it. Yep, I'll take it out. It's I, it's very offensive again to point zero 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 one percent of the population who's going to get up in arms and this one by the way professionally has a job at the guardian writing about ableist issues right her job is to bitch about shit being said that impacts a minuscule insignificant portion of the global population but to get mad about to get other people mad about and to make people's lives miserable now that being said look i don't have a problem if you're around people that have some sort of issue with their body that can't control their, their bodily movements, I would not go up to those people and be like, oh, what's up, you spazes? Actually, you know what? I'd I maybe I would. Maybe I would because the ownership, and I believe in comedy, I believe in diffusing the evils of language with comedy. Just like the gays have taken back queer, just like the black community has taken back the N-word in various forms. And, yeah, that's a debate, but... You, as a disabled community, could, in fact, take this and own it and laugh at it and make basically diffuse the power of that word by not writing articles about how you're offended by its quick phrase in a popular song. I would argue that resuscitating the true meaning of spaz in this manner and forcing a beloved artist that most people are listening to, and and everybody's going to have the same reaction, what the fuck, why, get over it. That's every person's reaction to an article like this, forcing her to change a song lyric that, again, nobody realizes what it even means anymore. This writer at The Guardian is doing more damage, more, I would say, psychological, more cultural damage to other people that have this malady by pointing out the lyric, by forcing a change, by shoving it in everybody's faces, where otherwise they might have listened to the song and be like, ah, spaz, whatever. Mm. I'm not a fan of it, but... Whatever, you know, or they would have said, I'm just going to own it. I'm going to start talking about how I'm a spaz and use it as my own moniker. I'm going to make jokes about it. I'm going to, again, diffuse the potency of that word by owning the word, by making it so innocuous, which it already was, that nobody even connects it to me or a physical impairment that I might have. This is why we're seeing culturally as a society in this fucking victimhood mentality bullshit society we have, things are not getting better. This is why race relations don't get better. This is why ableist stuff isn't getting better. This is why everybody's walking on eggshells and nobody can get along and nobody can talk anymore and dialogue is breaking down because everybody's policing everybody's words and it doesn't make it better. It brings it to the forefront and makes it hurt. It's ripping open a wound and spitting in it putting salt in it, put a little butter on top, and then trying to sew it closed with nice words. And now don't forget, we can't say that word anymore, guys. So stitch it back up. But the damage is done. And now anytime somebody comes and tips toes around this topic, they're going to see that nice weeping scar that you've created. It is backwards and idiotic. So pathetic Beyonce to go and bend the knee to these, uh, these whining assholes. And you don't need to either. You could have been in Chappelle. You could have said, you know what? I didn't mean it as derogatory and offensive. I don't think most people view this as a state attorney. I'm just going to leave it in. Why don't we see what the public reaction is? But no. One dumb article in The Guardian, and we got to change all the things. We got to rewrite. We got to rewrite the song. We got to put in a new lyric. We got to re-release it. Pathetic. Pathetic Beyonce. Mm. Queen? Mm-mm-mm. Queen for a day, maybe. Say so you're queen of, queen of garbage, queen of rubbish, queen of refuse, boo, boo. Sad. You know it's not sad? The Boring Podcast. Now, we're making some changes. We lost a guy, but it's still me and Rico rocking your comedy Basically, every two weeks now we're going to be doing it. we got it on coming up this Wednesday, so tune in live. We do the show live streaming on YouTube, on Twitter, on our Facebook page at The Boring Podcast, B-O-H-R-I-N-G. Tune us in. Get your fill of comedy, a little bit of politics, a little bit of pop culture. We're going to be doing our sports and gambling advice, so make sure to check that out. Go subscribe to that. It's a great time. You can also check out Mark Claire's other podcast with Remzo Martinez, the Second Print Comics podcast, where they break down all your nerdy favorites in the comic book world. But more importantly, go and subscribe to The Boring Podcast. I'll know if you did or didn't, because I can see the numbers. Don't be a dick. All right. Next up. I couldn't get over just the back and forth going on right now with the definition of the term recession and a couple different things have sprung to mind you know the book 1984 seminal masterpiece right 1984 by orwell it is it is just it has become a a bible it's almost like these people read it looking at it Uh, the new great reset people the globalists have looked at 1984 and said this is how we need to go about things. This is in fact the blueprint for us moving forward because I'll point to these two most recent developments. Number one, the redefinition of vaccine because the state, the failed state apparatus pushed out vaccines, tried to make them mandatory, which got struck down by the Supreme court, but too late after thousands and thousands of people had lost their jobs, been forced out of their positions, had basically opted to resign. This is why we're having an issue with pilots right now. Had taken early retirements. Again, this is also an issue with the port system we have right now and backup and supply chains. They had forced these vaccines down our throats, telling us that they were safe and effective and that, of course, everybody's understanding of the term vaccine the definition of vaccine was that you took a vaccine and it essentially made you immune to getting sick from that virus. That's how vaccines had worked for centuries. That's how we've been work. But of course, the new vaccines are not vaccines. They don't operate like vaccines. They have, They have bucked the traditional model of vaccines when it comes to COVID. So what do we have? Oh, they changed the definition. They had said, and I, I shouldn't even be saying, uh, I, should, I should be uh, subbing out the word and calling them vacations or something like that. Because, of course, YouTube will dock the algorithm since I'm talking truth here about these vacations. But they changed the definition so that it no longer means that you're not immune. No, no. Now, of course, they had to redefine the actual term to meet the new definition that the state wanted you to believe and understand, which of course is something far less effective. Basically saying that it it provides some protection. Oh, okay. You know what provides some protection against uh, illness? Everything. Anything you could do. Getting some sun, taking some vitamins, eating a nice churro. All of those (laughs) provide some protection against getting sick. But no, we have to redefine the term to meet the failed expectations of the state. Isn't that cute? So now we see that happening with the recession. And yes, everybody knows we're in a recession. You can see it happening. You can see the gold lumber flip happening. You can see the stock market going down. You can see the global supply crunch. You can see people's wages stagnating. You can see that people are not optimizing their ability to work, function, spread, live their life, call, you know, create new businesses, thrive, et cetera. We are in a recession. It is a factual observation. It's it's basically something that is inarguable at this point, no matter how bullshit the stats get from the White House talking about, you know, four different factors that are separated from the reality which we live in. But they can say, well, no, but look, the the employment numbers aren't as bad as we thought. When again, we're coming out of absolute unemployment highs because of the COVID lockdowns. And now, yeah, they're going to be a little bit better as people get the jobs again, as people go back and join the marketplace again. Just absurdities. But you're seeing in Wikipedia, they shut down their editing process because over the past week, 180 edits were made to the term recession because we are in a recession. And yet the failed state apparatus wants to redefine what a recession is. Joe Biden is insisting we're not in one, but we can look around and tangibly feel it. Everybody knows it. I work in business. I work in business relations. I work in public relations, as you know, in business development. We are in a recession. Everybody's scared of spending money. Everybody's scared of what's going to happen next. And nobody knows what to do right now because we don't know what's happening. We are in a massive inflationary period where the Fed is raising interest rates more than they've done in the past you know, 10, 20 years. And they're doing it because we are in a recession and an inflationary economy. And they're trying to stop the bleeding and get things under control. And they're failing. So what are we doing? Oh, that's right. We got to redefine what a recession is to make it more palatable, to make it seem as though the state hasn't failed us and all of the progressives that are backing Joe Biden. And of course, the majority of editors, by the way, on Wikipedia are left progressives. Just that's a straight fact. So you have this argument back and forth. Now, to Wikipedia's credit, they shut down the edits, right? Right after 180 of them, but you can see this is straight out of the 1984. This is a straight out of redefinition of terms, because if you can put it down the memory hole and redefine the terms that people understand and live their lives by, well, then I guess the state hasn't failed. We can rewrite history. We can rewrite reality by redefining how we understand it and what the the language we use is. This is the danger of censorship. This is the danger of what's been happening with all of these online platforms, censoring what you can and can't say, censoring truth, censoring opinion, censoring dissent. This is what's happening with all of these reintroduction and newly introduced terms that are used by, by, trust me on this, by the elites by university systems, by the state apparatus to control the way in which you think and how you dialogue. If they can control how you understand the world and how you can describe your world, then they can control you far more easily. And you're seeing it put into action here. You're seeing, just like in 1984, a redefinition of terms to meet the state's expectations. Now, not only that, but you'll also recall That NATO is looking to expand and let in Sweden and let in Finland. This is after they've already looked to let in all of these other countries which are outside. Again, remember this is the North Atlantic, huh? Atlantic being a key word, right? It's everything that involved in the Atlantic. Not anymore. It was supposed to be a defensive organization, right? The North Atlantic Treaty, right? That's the focus. That was the original promise of it. It was supposed to stay very reserved and contained to battle the Soviet Union and keep our sphere of influence, right? Well, when you add 20 new countries throughout Europe, when you are, are basically encircling Russia, encircling, trying to get, you know, now expanding the Pacific and circling China, you are creating straight out of 1984 again, the two mega blocks of enemies, you know, conglomeratory state slash corporate enemies that now in perpetuity will constantly be propagandizing all of their citizenry to hate each other. We're seeing it play out. This is to the detriment of everything. Globalization, unification of all of these countries under one rule, be it a elected uh, or unelected body, right? And the UN is unelected body. So, when we have these conglomerates coming together, they're incentivized to propagandize us that, number one, they are the epitome of good, right? They are the one true leading factor. We must believe everything they say because what other choice do we have, right? You don't want to believe the great evil, the great Satan over there of China and Russia and whatever else they might call glo- the Middle East countries, you know, whatever else is going to join into this this conglomeration of of filth is what we'll be told. And we have to believe in all the good and sanctified nations over here. This is the goal of these two organizations to basically create two spheres wherein we constantly have one enemy on the other side and one angel on our shoulder here. And they're always going to be alternating basically who's at war, who's at fault, who's bombing who, who's going to do back and forth forever. And we will be trained in propagandized by state apparatus and by these, again, the unification of the media and the government and the erasure of propaganda and anti-propaganda laws domestically, which have already been taken away. And we will be told that everything that is going on over there is to our detriment, that we must absolutely, without a doubt, hate them. And there's no going back. And they'll continue to expand until there are two groups. You're seeing it right now. You're seeing it with the constant expansion and we're seeing the spheres shake out with China and Russia becoming their block and NATO becoming its block. It's scary, folks, but I don't want to be negative on this show. Apart from that, I have to bring it up because it's a danger, but I want to stay positive, right? I want to stay positive. And to that extent, I want to talk about the... I guess something I was thinking about the other day, which is as we look at Nancy Pelosi flying over to poke the uh, the panda that is China, right? China said, look, we're, we'll shoot Nancy Pelosi down if she's gonna fly over to Taiwan. Look, I would have loved it if it happened. <laughs> I would have loved it. I was just talking with Reed Coverdale, a naturalist capitalist. that did his show uh, his live stream uh, last night, which check out, by the way, if you don't know uh, about Reed, he has a fantastic show, Naturalist Capitalist. Uh, we did a great live stream talking about uh, the problem of autism in the Libertarian Party. And we had a fun chat about that and some other things, including Nancy Pelosi. But I don't think anybody would be sad if Nancy Pelosi got shot down necessarily. I think the establishment, right, the elites, the establishment, uh, GOP and Democrats, which basically are now united in a war state with few exceptions. Nancy Pelosi, of course, is united in that war state, as is the majority of the Democratic uh components of power. I think the vast majority of Americans don't want war, definitely don't want to be poking a China that has nuclear capability. I don't think the vast majority of Americans want to support the war in Ukraine any longer. I think they've understood they've been sold a false bill of goods. And at the same time, now we just sent 550 million more dollars to Ukraine to assure their continued destruction at the hands of the Russians. Genius. But Pelosi's flying on over there, right? Risking war. Now, my one of the things I want to do on this show is a different framing of how we talk about issues like war. I don't just want to bitch about her going over there and say, look, this military industrial complex is evil and horrible and bad. I want to tell people how we would change things tangibly if we had a shot at the title here, right? If we had control over, let's say, all the different functions of war. And I want to explain how these things impact people and how war is always, it's never a war that's truly aimed abroad. It's never truly aimed at the cause at hand. It is always a war on the poor. Let me get a sip of water and I'll, I'll unpack that. Now, when I say it's a war on the poor, we have to go and say, okay, number one, what are the different forms of war? That we undertake. There's economic warfare, aka sanctions, aka uh, tariffs, aka regulatory warfare. That plays out in obvious fashions, right? If we are if we are enacting sanctions on another country. We are declaring war on their population by virtue of strangling off their ability to make money, to get goods, to export goods, to uh, to feed their children, to run their businesses. Now, these things very rarely actually have any impact in changing the culture in those countries. It rarely, if ever, has succeeded in forcing a population to overthrow a dictator. Typically, populations know because their own propaganda from their internal dictatorship or their internal state apparatus is going to say, America is doing this to you. So you have two things going on. Number one, you have their domestic people saying, this is America's fault. So again, it's not going to be effective in overthrowing them. And number two, they already know that because they do have outside sources now, information. They have other people that are family members in the country saying, yeah, yeah, this is America doing this to you. So what is it then? It's not a war on the people in power. They don't feel the pain of sanctions. No, it's a war on the poor. It just has to be a war on other people's poor. That's economics. Regulatory matters, right? When we talk about regulations and going after other people and other countries that are importing goods and regulations, well, the people that benefit here domestically are very rarely the poor. The people that benefit domestically here are the people that are creating those goods that are already rich, the lobbyists, the people that own stocks, the large corporations that create steel or cars. It harms the poor because the poor are the ones that actually get the brunt of cost increases. And we know that cheap goods from abroad provide the cheapest goods you're going to find in America. It makes your money go farther, especially in an inflationary period. And if you're poor, if you're living on $30,000 a year, yeah, Maybe $3 t-shirts from China is going to be a little bit better than $12 t-shirts because America wants to go and have a regulatory war and put tariffs on imports and make sure that X, Y, and Z is checking the box and to boost a domestic you know, clothing manufacturer or steel manufacturer that doesn't have a competitive advantage globally. It's going to be good for a small portion of the population, the 500 people that work in the steel mill, and to the detriment of three million people that rely on this steel for cars and everything else because we're no longer importing it. It is a war on the poor. How about when you physical war? When we talk about physical war, we're talking about our philosophy of reigning in all forms of warfare. Physical war is the one we think about most predominantly, so I'll talk about that and I'll talk about a couple other ones. Physical warfare, who pretty much makes up your your infantry? Who makes up the mass majority of your army? Poor people. Yeah, poor people. Typically, well-off rich folks, other than maybe Howie, (laughs) well-off rich folks rarely join the military. If they do, they're having a dark time of the soul or they have a, a proud tradition, let's say, of military heritage. And even that right now is falling apart. You're not having as many people join up. People are getting wised up to the fact that our military here in the United States isn't actually fighting for our freedoms anymore. It is working at the behest of a cabal of global elites, NATOs of the world to go and enact actions that don't really impact anything here at home. They don't make us safer. In fact, they probably endanger us more than they do anything else. But they're made up and comprised of poor people that need to get an, an advantage somehow, that need to get a start, that can't afford college, that can't afford homing. You know, a lot of people that'll join up that are first immigration status people, that need to get citizenship in order to get paid, They need to have some sort of validation in the country. And they're willing to go and join up the military on false promises, but they're the ones that are sent off to die. Even the people I'm talking about that have long military heritage. If you have somebody that had three generations of uh, military men in their family, odds are they probably got to a decent status, right? If you're a lifelong Navy man, let's say, well, your dad was probably somewhere high up in the Navy, high up in the Army, high up in the Marines, whoever it might be. So you probably aren't going to be living the life of a grunt, you know, you probably have a decent lifestyle, decent decent wage if they spent that much time and retired early. You know. So you probably got boosted up. Maybe you're an officer training school, leaving the chaff, leaving the cannon fodder to be taken up by the poor. Who also pays for all these wars, right? Who pays for these things now? Granted, the poorest of the poor get tax breaks. But let's just say the the lower middle income people that are still taxed that are still funding these wars, that are still working wages, that are still building, you know, they're working in the factories to create the bombs. It's still based off the backs of the poor that all of these things are enacted. I mean, it just is something that is so unbelievable that people buy into these. And and, and even that the phraseology that we're going to have a war on X even works. Like, this is what I'm saying. When we, you know, if we can get a shot at this, we can rein in all of these various warfares that are without a doubt aimed, targeted, based on an perpetrated on the poor how about the war on climate now prince charles went and said well we have to take a war mentality to fight in climate okay what did that mean prince charles well to me that means that they can nationalize goods and services they can nationalize and shut down you know fossil fuel plants they can force people into making and manufacturing things that might be more conducive to climate they can do x y and z because if it's a war well, that pretty much enables you to take a warfare state and say, okay, well, it's a different uh, set of rules we're playing by, right? But apart from that, what does climate change affect the most when we talk about combating it? They'll tell you that climate change impacts poor people the most, right? Now, this is all based off bullshit, by the way. Every study that's ever seen, every, every article I've ever read about how climate change is impacting poor people more than anything is based off of conjecture and bullshit. Because I'll tell you tangibly where the war does impact poor people. It impacts it with fossil fuels because fossil fuels are the cheapest, the most readily accessible, last the longest, are the most cost efficient, and oh yeah, are most predominant in areas where people are the poorest. Not just here in the U.S. where I'm telling you, you don't have in bumblefuck. Pennsylvania, in the middle of, you know, a town of 600 people that, uh, I don't know, used to be a a town that created widgets and now just is a town that creates meth. You don't have a lot of solar panels. You don't have a lot of wind farms. You don't have a lot of dams. (laughs) Not Not a lot of hydrogen batteries in there. No, you have people that need fossil fuels to depend on, often to heat their houses. You don't even know if you've got reliable electricity out in the middle of nowhere. But no, let's make sure that we have a war on fossil fuels, a.k.a. a war on the poor. Right now, you have progressives saying that well, these massive increases in the cost of gasoline, oh, they're a good thing because it's going to accelerate our change to fossil fuels or our change to a uh, renewable energy. Great, cool. Who's that a war on then? The poor. Who's that a war on? The guy that has to drive to work every day. The guy that's driving a truck. The guy that's driving a you know that's using a lawnmower that's a gas powered lawnmower. Which by the way, in California, they tried to make it illegal for our vastly majority immigration gardeners, one of whom is probably going to interrupt this very podcast today from using gas powered lawnmowers, gas powered uh, weed whackers, gas powered leaf leaflers because you know, the environment. So they're going to force these people into buying brand new equipment, which they don't need get rid of functional equipment, which is long lasting. The batteries don't run out. Nobody likes to talk about that either. The battery life of cars, a Tesla's battery life is about 10 years, right? astronomically expensive to replace just trash the car you're not going to do it this has come up with tesla as a, as a problem and every by the way electric vehicle you can have a car that runs on fossil fuels that'll last so many 25 years Okay, maybe it's not the most efficient, but you're telling me it's not going to be more efficient for them to have that car, to keep that car, than to create brand new cars and materials all the time to replace this car every 10 years, replace the battery in the car at an astronomical cost. And by the way, what are we using to create the batteries, the powers that you have to power the grid? Fossil fuels. But in the meantime, they're waging a war on the absolute most vulnerable populations. And on a global scale, you're talking about Cultures that are now coming up, the Africas of the world, right? The poor a- rural areas in Asia that are coming up. India, for Christ's sakes, where, you know, it's just unbelievable pottery. Pot- pottery. <laughs> beautiful pottery in India, by the way. Come, look at this beautiful vase. Poverty. Unbelievable poverty. And you've got these people trying to make their lives unlivable. Instead of allowing them to use fossil fuels which, by the way, increased the livelihood. Capitalism and fossil fuels increased the livelihood, the level of living, and the standard of living across the board and pulled billions of people out of poverty in the course of 30 years. They want to reverse that. They want to tell these people that we, the first world countries, right, the Germanys, the United States, we want to live up the largesse, right? We we already went through our fossil fuels phase. We did that. So... We want to insist that you guys don't do that. We're going to set you back about 50 years as far as evolution because we're not going to allow you to use these ultra cheap fossil fuels that are the backbone from any growing economy. Nope. Instead, we're going to limit you. We're going to force you to put in these windmills and these windmills, these things that are inefficient, slow and expensive to build and with no network backing, by the way. They, they don't have a grid to support it. Again, you don't need a grid for gasoline, Right. You put it in the ground, you pump it in your car, you can drive around, you can run your tractor, you can put it in a generator, and you have electricity. You know what you don't have? When you have nothing but solar panels and wind farms, you have to have a hell of a network running there, and I don't see any rural communities doing that. I don't see rural India doing that, nor rural China, nor rural parts of the United States without a massive government backing. And where does that backing come from? Oh, that's right, the war on the poor by causing inflation because our war on poverty is also a war on the poor yes that's right folks isn't that cute how that works out because we are enacting inflationary procedures by printing trillions of dollars to give to people right and we think this is going to be a great boon to them here help me lift you up with three thousand dollars yeah life-changing money i'm sure Not to say that it can't help some people, but it's there and it's gone. And then you find out that that $3,000 that they said to everybody, well, that's made all of your prices increase. Your rent's gone up. Your fuel costs have gone up. Your food prices have gone up. Minimum wage laws, right? This is a war on poverty, a war on income inequality. Guess what? Here in California, we've got some of the highest minimum wage laws in the world. Guess what our poverty income and quality rate is? Guess who's got the largest disparity between the rich and the poor of any state in the union? If you said California, twerk your ass on a pole to a Beyonce song because you won that prize. Yeah, it's California. Amazing how these policies work out, but that's what happens. Every time you declare a war on anything, it is a war on the people that can least afford to enact and undertake that war. It is always a war enacted by the elites, enacted by the people who have power and who have nothing to lose that will say and put up a smokescreen that it is for the poverty, it is for the poor, it is for the homeless, and instead what they do is they build up their own ego, they build up their own propaganda, they build up their own government edifices, and of course the lobbyists, the corporations that tie into those, they all benefit, right? Again, California, we have a homeless industrial complex here. The homeless population grows every single year. The homeless get worse. They get crazier. They get dirtier. They get more numerous. And we have industries that are getting paid $500, $500 million. Pardon me. They do nothing. Except waste taxpayer money, cost more people here. And again, where do these homeless hang out? It ain't Beverly Hills, folks. The war on homelessness Is putting crazy, drug addicted, mentally unstable, violent people in the poorest neighborhoods that are the least police that don't have the power to say, get the fuck out of my neighborhood, you shitbag? No. The rich countries or I'm sorry, the rich communities that are gated in, they don't have to deal with the homeless issue, but they're the ones that want to push the war on homelessness and tell these people, please come to California. We'll get $500 million to keep you happy and safe and shooting up drugs in front of my house. It's a war on the poor. And who are most likely to end up homeless? The poor the very same poor that have had the housing costs inflate beyond what is possible without government intervention in the war (laughs) on the housing crisis it's a beautiful thing (laughs) now i know you're right that doesn't sound positive but i'm telling you this because it's a very simple solution that i'm preaching here from my perspective when we say end the wars i'm talking about end the wars all of the wars Every war that is fought from a governmental perspective is always lost. They're always fucking lost, guys. And we have to make that clear to people. Stop being used. I was thinking about this the other day. So, you know, again, I'm listening to the Machiavellians. Um, great book, by the way, if you check that out. And in the Machiavellians, he's talking about you're know, quoting uh, Prado. And basically, the emphasis has to be on simple emotional communications, right? Three letters, you know, three word sentences, short propaganda that is effective, that can get the message across. And I think stop being used. It's a perfect phrase. Nobody wants to be used. Nobody wants to be taken advantage of, but that's what we're all being doing constantly. I mean, the government takes advantage of our work. It takes advantage of our trust. It takes advantage of our belief in a system of what could be and it turns it on its head and it just fucks us right in the ass. And then all these people seem to turn around and say, thank you. May I please have another? Let's go fight another war. And they promise you this one's going to be different. This war is the one we can win. And yet, what do we have? Spiraling national debt. Unbelievable inflation. Unsustainable housing rates. A war state run mad. Mad. A population that is terrified of what's coming around the corner, record low savings, homelessness everywhere stop all the wars. That's what we can bring to the table. No more wars of any kind. All right, let me see here a sip of water got a couple of things. Oh by the way I this I get all this one too another one this is a perfect example right let's talk about the war on hunger right there's a global war on hunger we're always told that that people are starving everywhere now what they don't want to tell you is that in the war on hunger the government's actually disincentivizing people from growing crops and that's going on right now now there's this amazing article on the united nations ah united nations are you telling me a multinational global organization is evil yes The United Nations had an article, which has now been pulled down because they got called out, called The Benefits of World Hunger. Yeah, Uh, I guess one of the best parts of the war on hunger is the benefit of having world hunger. (laughs) This, This fucking asshole, George Kent is his name. He was in the Department of Political Science at the University of Hawaii, working on human rights, international relations, and peace development, as well as environmental issues. Cool, dude. Okay. Hunger. This is a quote from the article. Now they took it down, right? So I'm, I'm just I'm just pulling this from uh, from an article that's read on uh, the capitalist exploits is the name of the publication. But this is a direct quote from a screenshot. Hunger has a great positive value to many people. Indeed, it is a fundamental to the working of the world's economy. Hungry people are the most productive people, especially where there is a need for manual labor. Isn't that nice? So, remember, when the UN and the United States and everybody else decides to fight world hunger, what they really think, and that's that they want you to be hungry so you work harder. Stop being used. Oh all right. Let's see. I want to tell you real quick to join our Patreon. By the way, LionsOfLiberty of liberty dot I'm sorry patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty. Get my good morning fuckhead rants. My uh I'm just about to drop a new do nothing man. The script is written and done. Woo, it's a good one too. I think it's my favorite one I've ever written. I think it's got the best ending of anything I've ever written. Not going to give it away. Got it right here in front of me. Going to record that tomorrow night, right after I do the boring podcast. And, of course, you can get other bonus content, like early releases of our uh, videos, of our interviews. You can get a... Of course, we're going to be coming back with a new football season. Also, probably going to do a little bit of a new show ideation. We're going to... Uh, Odie and I are going to talk about it. I think we're going to launch a new show, kind of like a roundtable show. So stay tuned there. But in the meantime, go support the show if you'd be so kind. Patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. Now then, how about... this last little tidbit, right? Rand Paul, Rand Paul's been killing it. uh, I will say he has called out, once again, fighting with the National Institute of Health, which we know has acknowledged that these doctors get paid out. The people at the National Institute of Health are basically in a closed circuit of corruption, of of advocating for drugs that they've worked on, for getting paid out for patents that they're on, and then applying those patents and basically forcing governments into adopting the patents that they have as national policy, right? This is confirmed. <laughs> They've had the exact same cadre of people that just circulate internally ad nauseum. And of course, it's Fauci, it's the director of the NIH. These people go in circles making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And of course, Fauci, bits paid more than any other executive uh, in the government. I think he has something like $480,000 a year. And that's not counting the royalties he gets paid out through this National Institute of Health. Senator Rand Paul has demanded answers from the NIH after he says the agency repeatedly discarded its responsibilities under Freedom of Information Act and America's right to agency records because for two years they have provided, I'm sorry, for two years public interest groups and media organizations have been forced to engage in protracted litigation to get documents related to the NIH's involvement in COVID 19. And the records they have produced have been heavily redacted. So that seems to be a little bit insane, right? If you've got a government employee and a Freedom of Information Act for a government institution, right, the National Institute of Health, working to provide public policy and guidance, and yet we know these people are getting paid out as a distinct conflict of interest, why should they be redacting anything? And I guess it's not just a little bit. It's quite a bit of information that is redacted. So let me go on and read a little bit more of this. So they're saying that they redact information because of uh, privacy concerns and compliance with the law. That if it was disclosed, it would, quote, constitute a clearly unwarranted invasion of personal privacy. Now, <laughs> oh, the, and this is my favorite part coming up too. Also, the uh, when this, this woman, I'm uh, oh, sorry, Mr. Garcia Malin, who was speaking on behalf of the NIH, also claimed, and this is the best part, the information had to be redacted because, quote, because of the amount of misinformation surrounding the pandemic and its origins. Again, they had to redact information. First, they're saying because of privacy concerns, because they need to protect the privacy of the people getting paid out that are advocating for government introduction to people's lives, for mandates, for, for these different tax being taken to combat COVID-19. And again, getting people paid out as a result of these recommendations. That's the number one thing they say. So we have to protect those people getting paid out because we can't disclose those conflicts of interest. But no, we also had to redact information to combat the amount of misinformation surrounding the pandemic and its oranges. Or oranges? Origins. So to protect against disinformation and misinformation, you need to fucking omit and black out the actual information that you're providing? I I, I, I can't. (laughs) What? How, How the fuck can you even say that? With any sort of straight face, with any sort of believability. I mean, motherfucker, motherfucker. Again, this is 1984 shit. I'm sorry. I can't tell you the truth because you might misinterpret the truth. That's what they are saying. That's been the standard all along. That's what they have told Fauci as much as said so. We can't tell them the truth because they might misinterpret the truth, right? This is the fucking science slash, you know, elitist slash whatever you want to call it, the scientocracy, uh, medical uh, fascism, right? This is what this is. This is what people warned against when they talked about a science-led society and experts leading the way because experts don't think the common person can understand what they're providing them, right? It's a very condescending and authoritarian viewpoint. And you're seeing it spelled out right fucking here. When we talk about this bullshit with masks, by the way, which LA County, again, slapped down because everybody said fuck off. The origin of wearing masks as dictated by a camera it was the NIH or somebody from the CDC, this woman is speaking and she's like one of the most authoritarian people. She said, no, the masks don't really do much. But what they do do is they stop people from getting close to other people with masks because you see somebody else in a mask and you give them natural space. That was why they told us to wear masks, not because they provide shit for efficacy in stopping transmission of the virus. We know they don't. We know they don't. It was to get people to keep away from each other. Psychological warfare is what it was. And now these shits refuse to tell us the truth. They have to redact the truth to fight misinformation because if we're given the true information, we might interpret it as misinformation. It's magic. It's fucking magic, guys. All right, that's going to wrap it up for me today. Guys... Thanks for listening in to Mean Age Daydream here at the Lions Liberty Network. Again, subscribe. We've got three individual feeds now for each show. Of course, you can find the Mean Age Daydream solo feed, and you should, because I did a bonus episode talking about, uh, as I said, it was Voguely Grotesque. And that was talking about Zelinsky, and uh, I still don't know his wife's name. I called her uh, Walensky Zelinsky. Zelensky posing in front of various destroyed monuments and planes and all this other shit in a fifteen dollars gown. And I talked about how this was politically, from a public relations perspective, probably the worst thing they can do. Now, didn't stop Biden from, uh, you know, signing a check for $550 million, which probably, by the way, do you think Biden, do you think they just put a fucking birthday card in front of him with a check that said to, uh, you know, written out to Zelensky and they said, Joe, can you sign this check for Hunter's birthday? And he went, <laughs> and just scribbled on it. Because that's how I bet it happened. That's how I bet it all happens. There's no other fucking reason. There's no other possible reason that they keep sending money other than Hunter's Biden Hunter Biden's birthday again. Another birthday? Oh, damn, man, I didn't realize the Hunter. How old's Hunter now? He's got to be 62. Fucking idiot. Anyway, but go listen to that solo feed again, Mean Age Daydream solo feed. Give me a review, subscribe. It really helps to grow the show. If you haven't yet, if you guys are listening, please do also go review the Lines of Liberty Network wherever you can. Give us a nice little write-up there and, uh, and share the show. More than anything, if you can tweet it out, if you can quote tweet, if you can share the podcast, tell people about it, talk about it on Reddit, that would be dynamite. And that's going to do it, guys. So from me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty Network and from Mean Age Daydream. Keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to my head.